Okay. I'm excited about tonight. Before we do anything else, I have notes, and we're going to pass out notes, okay? So, oh, yeah, yeah. I do want to ask, okay, this is great. While we're passing out notes, um, we do have an announcement. This Saturday at 8 a.m., we have a men's uh, breakfast, and we have two, uh, our main speaker is a guy named Ken Curry, and he's the author and creator of what's called Solid Man. That's an incredible program. That, um, that some have been through in our church and have really seen lives changed and transformed as men. Um, as well, we have Brian Bird. He's an executive producer of a new movie that's going to be out. It's called The Heart of Man. And it deals with bringing men out of shame into their inheritance as sons of the Father. Amen? So, not amen. Amen? 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 my mind heard that joke and I was like oh that's funny but it's only funny to me okay so it begins at 8 a.m. free breakfast come and it's a six dollar breakfast and I'm really glad that JR and uh, Mike Mike was supposed to make this announcement but he put me on the spot okay <laughs> six dollars anything else we need to know about it 8 a.m. six dollar breakfast awesome speakers your life will be transformed and it's in the gym. Good. It's in the gym. Okay, so everyone who wants notes, do you have notes? Okay, good. Now, don't be intimidated by this. We're not going to go through all six pages of notes that I just handed out to you. <laughs> You're like, oh, I don't think we're going to be done by eight something. Uh, this is just for you in my, in my study of the overview of the book of John. This is... Something I just wanted to give you so you could uh, have it as you're reading through the book, that you could have some like the key themes, the highlights, some of the history of how do we know John wrote this and who says that, why did he say that. Um, and so it's just to further your study. And as you go deep, not just in reading the word, but in going slow and asking the Holy Spirit questions and asking for the Lord to reveal Jesus to you, through this book, um, it might be just a helpful resource, okay? So, um, yes, you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Annie. Good stuff. So, we're going to breeze through the first kind of six points, uh, the first five points, and we're going to kind of dive in on point six. Um, but the introduction and a few others I feel like are important. So, so introduction, let's look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Why do we want to take time? Why do we want to meditate? Why do we want to put the book of John before us and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus? And when I think of that question, and as I was praying through that, two scriptures were just, the Lord was uh, screaming at me through these scriptures. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, okay? So that's most of the Old Testament. You have Moses in there. You have the patriarchs. You have the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the minor prophets, Haggai, Malachi as well. He says, but in these last days, he, that is the father, he, the father, has spoken to us by his son. So when we see Jesus, when we look at Jesus, when we meditate on him, we have the Father speaking to us through his Son. This is the Son whom he appointed the heir of all things. Jesus is going to inherit everything. He's going to inherit a bride. He's going to inherit the earth. He's going to inherit the nations. And he's going to make them all new. Amen? Us, the nations, and the earth. And we get to be a part of the new creation that he is already beginning in our hearts, says Paul in Corinthians. So he's going to inherit all things. And through the one that inherited all things, he also made everything. Now, that next week when we get into John 1, we're going to talk about this, and this is wonderful. But he made everything through the word, through Jesus. And here's who we see in Jesus, verse 3. He is, when we look at the Gospels, he is the radiance or the reflection or the, the coming forth of the glory of God. So Moses said, Lord, show me your glory. 
and we get to see the actual glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. So he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Isn't that wonderful? Everything that the Father is, Jesus displays. He's the very nature of God. And we get page after page after page of eyewitness testimony as to who this man Christ Jesus, who is both God and man, who he was. I mean, just that right there, we should just shut down the service and go read our Bibles, right? <laughs> but we're not going to because I've prepared six pages of notes. No, just playing. Um, and he upholds the universe by, his power, by the word of his power. After making purification for sin, thank you, Lord, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And then let's look at 2 Corinthians 3, verses 15 through 18. It says this, verse 15, Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Now he's talking about the Jewish people. And Paul is describing to the Corinthians that when they read the Old Testament, they, are, they have a veil over their hearts. They're not seeing the true glory of God. Verse 16, but when one turns to the Lord, and that's important, when one turns to the Lord, or to Jesus, the veil is removed, granting us sight, granting us revelation, and we get to see the glory of God. Now the Lord, whom he's saying, whom I have shared with you, whom you have seen, whom Jesus, the Lord, he is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now Paul is interpreting what he just said. He's like, there's a removal of the veil when you turn to the Lord. And that removal of the veil is true freedom. And that's what the Holy Spirit gives us. We are filled with the Spirit, the Spirit of truth, the comforter who encourages, who builds us up, who reminds us of the thing of Jesus. And when we turn to the Lord through the Spirit, the veil is removed. And we no longer walk in darkness. We walk in light. If I'm on this rocky path in the mountains and the sun has set and I'm walking in darkness, you don't feel too free, do you? But if someone were to hand you a flashlight and then you shine down on the path and you saw there was a cliff there, you'd be pretty glad for that flashlight, right? Freedom comes when we look at Jesus and the veil is removed by the power of of the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, and we all, now this is you and me right now, what we get to do tonight, we all with unveiled face, this is what the Holy Spirit is doing in us, beholding the glory of the Lord, that's what we're going to do tonight, we're going to behold Jesus in the Gospel of John, all through this series, we're going to behold the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image. So Paul's saying this, there's freedom in beholding Jesus, and in beholding him, you don't just get to see him. The glory of who he is by the power of the Holy Spirit begins to transform you into his image. We don't want it just to see. We want to be conformed, right? We want to be transformed, right? I want to be transformed. Paul says this is how you do it. You behold Jesus. You turn to Jesus. In Jesus, the veil is taken back. And in Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, in gazing upon him and meditating upon him and speaking to him, you can be transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. It's continual. Amen? I want to be transformed till the end of my life into his image, right? I want to experience his glory till the end of my life, and I want to be conformed into his image even greater. You know why? We're going to end the whole night with this verse, but I'm going to go, I'm going to give you a little preview. Because in him there's life. In him there's life. The life of God that shines upon all men. So that's why I am excited. Well, and then let's, well, we got to finish the verse. From this, for this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. This transformation comes from the Lord. You can't do it yourself. 
It comes from the Lord. And again, he says, and the Lord is the spirit. And then it ends. Amen. I thought there was more. Okay. <laughs> so John is an important book for us to study, for us to look at, for us to dive into. All the Gospels are. You can, you can have this process of transformation go on no matter how or where you look at Jesus, as long as it's the revelation from the Word of God. But as we were praying as an executive team, we were asking, Lord, what, what do you want us to study on Wednesday nights? Where do you want us to go? What's the series? And we just felt the Lord say, look at my son. Behold my son. Take a season and meditate on who he is before you move on. Let's lay a foundation of Christ in our hearts, and let's sure up that foundation of Christ in our hearts. And as we prayed on how to do that, the Lord just kept highlighting this book. So that's how we find ourselves here. And let's dive into these notes. Point number one, who wrote the book of John? Well, just like the other three Gospels, it actually doesn't name its author. <laughs> there are very good clues, this is B, there are very good clues that the author was one of Jesus' disciples. C, in John 21, 24, it says, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. D, just a few verses earlier in John 21, 20, it says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one whom also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? So the author leaves his name out, but instead he uses these phrase, this phrase, the disciple whom Jesus loved. I love that. How would you like to, like, I bet he just kind of rubbed that in to the other guys. You know, they were a group of guys, and guys are kind of, like that. <laughs> I'm the disciple who Jesus loved. Peter's like, well, I'm the rock. Well, I'm the disciple who Jesus loved. Well, I outran you to the tomb. And then Peter was like, oh, shoot, you did. Okay. <laughs> and there are many passages where the author claims that he's an eyewitness to, to the events. He has a very intimate look at Jesus at the Last Supper. He hears Jesus pray the high priestly prayer. So he was, one of one, he was one of the ones who was close to him. He always seems to have a close association with Peter, which suggests that John is one of the close three, that he is, Peter, James, and John were kind of separated from the 12 and brought in a little nearer. How would you like to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration and see Jesus transform before your eyes and see Moses and Elijah come down and talk with Jesus? And Peter's like, we got to do something, just like a man. we got to build you a tabernacle, you know. And the Lord just smiles at him, you know. I don't know what that was, but I'm sure that was crazy. So John, it seems to be, is, is or John was a part of this three. And these, plus other thoughts and many other things, have given church uh, confidence over the last 2,000 years that the author is indeed John Zebedee. Point number two, so who was John? Most likely, he was a disciple of John the Baptist before he became a disciple of Jesus. It says in John 1.35 that there were two disciples there when John pointed to Jesus and said, the Passover lamb, or the lamb who takes away the sin of the world, and they go to follow him. And it's right that they should, because John has prepared them and prepared Israel to follow the one that was coming, whose, whose sandals he was unworthy to even untie and would baptize them with the spirit and with fire. And so these two disciples see, we know one is Andrew because it said one is Andrew and he went and got his brother John. And many commentators and many people think that the other was John. Um, this means that if John was under if John the Apostle was under John the Baptist, think about the life this man had. One, he's sitting under the, the teaching of the prophet whom Jesus says in Matthew 11, there's no greater prophet than John the Baptist. And John is unfolding Isaiah chapter 40. John the, 
Baptist is unfolding it to the apostle. And the apostle is knowing John is preparing the way, not just for the Messiah, for Yahweh. That's what Isaiah 40 says. Behold, one preparing in the wilderness, preparing a people to receive, not the Messiah, the Lord. John was saying, there's a big day coming, guys. And it's equal to Mount Sinai, God visiting his people. And so when the apostle sees John the Baptist point and says, and that's the man that I saw. John is going, a man is God. And so from that moment, the wheels start turning. That this is the one that is visiting his people and he's God in the flesh. And then John, the apostle, gets to witness about the life of Jesus and live and walk and hear his teaching. And then gets to be filled with the spirit. And then who does the Lord pick to prophesy of the Lord's second coming out of the apostles? It's John. So John the Apostle kind of takes John the Baptist's place and says, okay, now I witness his life, but he's coming again. And he's going to rule and he's going to reign, and that's just an incredible revelation. So John was a messenger. Sitting under the first messenger, saying Jesus is coming, witnessing Jesus, and then leading people into discipleship of who Jesus was when Jesus was resurrected. And then he prophesies of his return. Unbelievable. So the structure of this book, again, we're going to get through this real fast. Like Mark and Luke, John is arranged literally and it's arranged chronologically. Okay, so John 1 follows, or John 2 follows John 1. The reason I say that is because when you read the book of Matthew, that's not the case. Matthew isn't chronological. And so it's like hitting on different places at different times, okay? But Mark and Luke and John, they actually are. It has some key portions that the other have, uh, that the others have, the ministry of John the Baptist, the death and resurrection. Those are found in all the Gospels. But John has a lot of things that the others don't include. The paralytic at the pool of Bethesda, Jesus in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles in John 7, the washing of the disciples' feet in John 13, the temple discourse of John 15 through 17. Now just think if you didn't have the book of John and you didn't have John 14, 15, 16, and 17. How many of those, how many of those chapters are precious to you? Or just like one of them or just a verse out of them? Those are some precious chapters to me. And think of what you would be missing and who Jesus is. And so we're very grateful that John at the end of his life took time to write this book. Um, let's keep going. I skipped point three. We're on point four. Now, why are these not in the other Gospels, these stories that are in John? Most likely because the other Gospels deal with Jesus' Galilean ministry that was in the north of Israel. And most all of the teaching and all of the miracles and all of the signs that are in Matthew, Mark, and Luke deal with what was going on around Galilee. But John deals with what was going on in Jerusalem, okay? Now, most all that believed in Jesus believed in Galilee, in Capernaum, in Cana. And the leadership of Jerusalem, the leadership of Israel was in Jerusalem. And so when John would come back to Jerusalem for the feasts, which most of the discourses in John are around the times of the feasts. I have that in the chapter structure. John was, he had a people who believed in him. They kind of, I'm sure a lot of them came with him. And then he was declaring who he was to the leadership of Israel. And he was saying, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light. In the midst of these feasts that had celebrations around most of those statements. And so we'll get into studying those. It's just amazing. But Jesus is saying, I'm the fulfillment of those feasts. I'm the fulfillment. I am the good shepherd, as he describes himself in Hanukkah. We're going to get to what that meant and how that linked with the Jewish history there. But I think that's important for us to know. Jesus was declaring himself to the leaders of Israel as who he was. And he was clearly saying that I and the Father are one. I mean, John 8, when he just says, before Abraham was... I am, 
you know, mic drop right there. And they seek to kill him after that. He's saying he's God. Well, he is. And they had to deal with it. And they dealt with it by killing him. Okay, chapter structure. Oh, let's go to D. I'm sorry. So John, again, primarily focuses and is narrating the story of Jesus around Jerusalem. Jesus would travel to Jerusalem for the feasts, and it is there that he spoke to the people at these feasts, at these feasts, to the leadership of Jerusalem. Okay, let's go to five, chapter structure. Now, I put this in here so you kind of see the gaps in John. John 1, we have the introduction, John the Baptist, Jesus' first disciples. John 2 and 3, we have a wedding at Cana, and this is around Passover, and this is when he cleanses the temple and he has the discourse with Nicodemus. And this is in 27 AD. He's leaving to go back to Galilee. He stops at the woman at the well, again, 27 AD. And then there's a six-month gap between point C and point D. He doesn't return and have another discourse that John lays out until October 27 AD. And this is at another feast. And it's called the Unknown Feast. He returns to Galilee ministers for probably another six months. Of course, they're walking the whole time. They don't have travel like we do, so it takes them a while. Lots of Jesus' miracles happened on those roads, and as people were following him, and he was going back and forth from Galilee to Jerusalem. And then point E, we have another six months later, we have the teaching in the synagogue of Capernaum during Passover as he's going to Jerusalem, and he says, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will not have life. And so you can go on and look at that. But in those gaps are most of our stories in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay. We got kind of like some of the teaching and scholastic stuff out of the way. But that's helpful as you read John in relationship to the synoptic gospels. How do these all work together? Okay. Point six, themes and key events in the book of John. Now, there is so much here, and we're not going gonna to take time as we go through these chapters and unfold some of these. But I just wanted to give this to you. If you want to go deep and start looking at this stuff now, it is amazing. So point A, first, John opens up his gospel with a statement of Jesus' identity being the one true living God. He was more than just a man. He says, in the beginning, the same way the Bible opens up, (laughs) in the beginning, God created. John does that with his gospel. In the beginning was, not God this time, was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word was a man. That's what he's trying to say. And he was with God from the beginning. Not created, eternal in existence with God, the Father. And he created all things. John presents Jesus as the word. This is two. The meaning of the word logos is the meaning of all life and the source of all life. And he says Jesus was the meaning of all life and the source of all life. And he asserts Jesus' divinity by saying he was before all things and he created all things. Three, this runs through John's gospel, this theme of he is God. The I am statements point them out like crazy. In John 8, he says, I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. He's constantly declaring himself to be the God of Israel, Yahweh. And it would have been blasphemous if the Lord wouldn't have backed up his claim with signs and wonders and miracles and healing. And, of course, the ultimate backing up of his claim is what? He was raised from the dead. Not just raised and walking around right here with us on earth. Ascended to the right hand of majesty on high. And Daniel 7, and we'll get into a little bit of Daniel 7 later on, says that the Son of Man came. To the Father, and to him was given all authority, all dominion, all power, that all nations should love and worship the Son. And they knew Daniel 7. And so when they saw Jesus 
resurrected and ascend, they knew where he was and that all authority was being given to him. This is why we need to meditate on this, guys. Because the one whom we serve is the one who's sitting on a throne, is the one who came and the word became flesh and he made purifications for our sins before he rules and reigns forever. This is glorious, amen? At least I think so. Okay. So these I am statements. Now, when Jesus would use the word, this is for, when Jesus would use the word I am, he would use the, the, the Greek translation of this, or at least it was written in Greek, uh, the book of John was. Jesus made, might have used Aramaic. The Greek translation of I am is that word that I can't pronounce, so I'm not even going to try in Greek, but it's the translation of God's personal covenant name. Given first when Moses is in front of the Lord at the burning bush. And Moses, he says, who, who should I tell them that you are? And he says, tell them that I am has sent you. The I am, who I am. So when Jesus uses this statement, I am the bread of heaven, it's like he's saying in Hebrew, Yahweh, the bread of heaven. Yahweh, the light of the world. Yahweh, the gate for the sheep. Yahweh, the good shepherd. Yahweh, the resurrection and the life. And he makes these seven statements in the book of John. John picks seven of these statements to let us know that Jesus is God. And he operates in relationship to God and then the authority of the Father. And the Father and the Son are one. And then there are seven other I am statements. This is point five. There are seven other I am statements in the context of dialogue and teaching. He doesn't say, I am the bread of life. But with the woman at the well in John 4, 26, she says, I know the Messiah is coming, and he will teach us all things when he comes. And Jesus says to her, I, who am speaking with you, am. How would... You like to be the woman at the well. She was the first one who got the first I am statement. And I guarantee she recognized it. Now, we have in our Bibles, I am he. Probably in your Bible, that's italicized. Because that's not in the original. It's just I, who am speaking with you, am. And her eyes are opened to who Jesus is. And she runs and she tells the village in Samaria. And many believe in Jesus in Samaria because of her testimony. B, Jesus walks on water, and he comes to his disciples who are in a storm. And what does he say? He says, it is I. Do not be afraid. As he's walking on water, he's like, I am. C, if you will believe that I am in chapter 8, you will not die in your sins. That's what he tells the leadership of Jerusalem in chapter 8. In chapter 8, he uses it three times. He says, when you lift up the Son of Man, this is D, you will know that I am. And they are raging at this point. They are saying, you are a son of fornication. They are saying, you are a son of a Samaritan. They are saying, we know who our father is, Abraham. Jesus is saying, your father is the devil because that's who you're following. I mean, it is intense, guys. John 8 is one of the most intense uh, back and forth that Jesus has with the leadership of Jerusalem. And then he said, if Abraham was your father, you would believe in me just like Abraham did. And you would rejoice to see my day. You're not even 50 years old. And you're saying that you saw Abraham? I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. Oh, guys. It was on. And they seek to kill him right there. It's, it's blasphemy. And the Lord protects him. The father protects his son as the son is boldly proclaiming who he is to the people of Israel. Guys, this was an intense day to live in. Because if you rejected that man and the statements about him, there were eternal consequences. And if you accepted him, there were eternal consequences. It was as and more, it was, it was greater than God visiting his people at Mount Sinai. 
Because God, who is that glory that they couldn't approach, is in the flesh walking among them, telling them to believe, 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 believe. Why believe? Believe is used 98 times in the book of John. 98 times. If you believe, believe. Hold fast and believe. Believe. And it's always equated with life. Then you will have life. And we're going to end tonight with that statement. I just got to hit it. I'm sorry. Let's do the one more I am statement. G in the notes. So Jesus culminates his entire ministry before he goes to the cross in the book of John with one more I am statement. Let's read this in 18. All right, chapter 18. This is G in the notes under six themes, under themes and events, and key events. Therefore, it says, Jesus, knowing all things that would come upon him, he knew the suffering that he was going to take. He knew he was going to make purification for our sins. He knew he was going to be resurrected and that the Father was going to bring him up from the dead. So knowing all things that would come upon him, he went forward and he said to them, whom are you seeking? Because Judas is leading the soldiers to find him. He says, whom are you seeking? Verse 5, and they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus didn't say Jesus of Nazareth right here. He said, we're seeking Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. And the power is released and it forces them to the ground where they should be already on their knees worshiping this one. And it's Jesus of Nazareth going to the cross, declaring himself to be God. I am. And then they get up again and he says, whom are you seeking? I bet there's just a little smile on his face at that time. That'd be fun, you know. And they kind of tremble and go, Jesus of Nazareth, you know. I told you I am. And then he goes and he gets taken before the Sanhedrin and before Pilate. And then he dies on the cross for you and me. God, who was a man, Jesus of Nazareth, I am. B, under themes and key events. So John has seven I am statements. I am the bread. I am the way, the truth, and life. I am the true vine. He has seven times where he uses I am in these different contexts. And then there are seven signs that John points to. Now, signs in John's Gospels are miracles, or in John's Gospel are miracles. But he uses the word sign because they're pointing to Jesus being God, okay? And he picks seven of them. The other Gospels have a lot more miracles, but they are purposely picked by John. He turns water into wine at a wedding. How many of you love that the first miracle was done at a wedding? Prophesying of the wedding that was to come. That we would be joined to God forever. Amen? And he does something no man can do. There's water. He makes it wine. Only God can do that. Has creative power over the elements. He heals the nobleman's son. The nobleman's son is miles away. And the nobleman knows the authority that Jesus has. He understands that. He's like, this guy understands authority. I'm going to show him my authority. And I'm going to heal the son. I don't even have to lay my hands on him, do anything. At my command, he can be healed from miles away. Only God could do that. Only God could heal the lame man in John 5, who was lame for 38 years. I don't think that's an accident that John throws that in. 38 years. This man has not walked or is trying to walk and can't get into the pool that John said is being stirred by an angel. I'll let, just let you like, you, let your mind just be blown by that one. I don't know. Don't even ask me about that, okay? Um, but he heals a man 38 years, lame. He feeds a multitude of 5,000 in John. Only God can create food out of nothing and wait as they're eating bread made from nothing spoken into existence, and it's the Passover, I know that they're thinking, this is the book of Exodus type of stuff. This is the manna that was fell from heaven from nothing. This is God. 
And they try to make him king right there. They try to take him to Jerusalem and set him up on his throne right there. And then he does a teaching and he wipes away all of his disciples, meaning he does a teaching that's so hard to receive that only the 12 stand with him after that. Jesus' leadership style is so unlike you and me. He is. I mean, he's just so unlike us. If we had all of the north of Israel saying, we're going to make you king, that'd probably feel pretty good, right? The revolt's going to begin. We're going to free ourselves from the shackles of Rome, and here's our Messiah who's leading us. He's like, it's not that time. That's at my second coming. I have to purify your sins so you can be with me and my Father forever in the new Jerusalem, ruling and reigning with me. That was what was more important to him than his own glory too soon. Amen? So he feeds 5,000. He heals the blind man from birth, a man who's blind from birth. I love it. He takes clay and he puts it on the blind man's eyes. And this is the one who formed us from the dirt. In Genesis chapter 2. Unbelievable. And they're seeing this. It's not an accident. He's taking the clay and put it on the blind man's eyes. And then says, go wash. And somehow, eyes come. <laughs> oh, it's just glorious. So there are seven I am statements in two different ways. There are seven signs which point to Jesus. The resurrection is the last one. And this was linked to John 2 when he cleansed the temple. Basically saying, I'm greater than the temple. To the Jew, only God was greater than the temple. So when he cleansed the temple, they said, what sign are you going to perform for us to know you're greater than the temple? That you're equal to God. That's what the Jews were asking him. What did he say? Tear down this temple and I'll re rebuild it in three days. And John tells us he was speaking of his flesh. That was the sign he was going to give the leadership of Israel that he was greater than the temple and equal to God. And now, rather than going to the temple to worship, guess what we get to do? We get to come to Jesus and worship in spirit and in truth. Amen? That's powerful. Not because I say it, just because it is. Okay. And then there are the feasts of John. And we're going to get into this in different chapters. I don't want to take too much time right now. But there are three Passovers in John, and Jesus declares himself not only to be the Passover lamb whose blood covers them from the death angel, from the angel of death, or from death itself, but he also says, I'm, equal, I'm that Passover meal that you've been eating for many, many years. I'm the bread of life, and I'm the lamb you have to consume. And he fulfills the Passover within, his, within himself. He stands up at tabernacles. And that was the feast that emphasized Israel's forever being with the Lord, their millennial rest that he was going to give them. And there were two things that were very important, the lighting of the temple and the pouring of water on the altar that represent the Holy Spirit cleansing them of their sins. And as they're lighting the temple, he stands up, he says, I'm the light of the world. And as they're pouring water on the altar, representing the Spirit coming when the Messiah comes to cleanse them of their sins. He says, if you're truly thirsty, you have to come to me. And I will give you life. And out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. It's just amazing. He's like, guys, I'm the fulfillment of everything. I'm all in all, as Paul will call me later. I'm the beginning. I'm the end. This is all about me. Everything you've been doing... Passover, Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Tabernacles, the other feasts, they point to me. He says in one place, you search the scriptures because you think in them is life. They point to me, but you refuse to come to me to have life. Guys, as we search the book of John, I feel like that's a warning to us. We need to let these scriptures bring us to Jesus, to encounter Jesus, to love Jesus, to obey Jesus, to adore Jesus, to savor him and love him. Amen. In John, there's a very special interest in the Holy Spirit. 
not, no other book in the Bible describes the activity of the Holy Spirit like the book of John. That might be a big statement, so if someone hears this or hears this online and there is one, I'm sorry. But there's no other gospel. <laughs> Let's back that up a little bit. There's no other gospel that describes the Holy Spirit like the book of John. It's throughout the entire thing. Chapter 1, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 7. And then four mentions in chapters 14 through 16. And Jesus is the one who has been given the spirit without measure. Isaiah tells us that. And he's the one who's going to give his apostles the spirit without measure. So they can walk in fullness and in life. I can't wait to talk about the Holy Spirit in the book of John in these chapters. Amen. I can't wait to meditate on who he is to remind myself that God lives inside of me through the spirit. And then I have the spirit of Christ working on the inside of me to transform me into the image of Christ. It mentions all the different activities of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who's going to show them the things of Jesus. He's the one who's going to teach them the things to come. He's the one that's going to teach them all things. <laughs> he just says, well, he'll, he's just going to teach you everything. <laughs> he's going to show you how to walk in godliness and in life. Okay, seven, and we're ending. So what's the entire purpose of the book of John? Turn with me in your Bible if you have it, though the scripture's on the notes, to John chapter 20, verse 30 through 31. I'm going to do this real quick, and then we are going to end in just a time of prayer, asking God to open our eyes to who Jesus is, and then we'll be done by 830. Is that cool? Okay. Next week, we're going to have 30-minute chunks. And then we are going to, I mean, we're going to teach from 7.30 to 8.30. And then you guys get to talk in groups and pray with one another and talk about who Jesus is and what the Lord is showing you. And it's going to be wonderful. Amen? We'll have a little bit more instruction on that before we dismiss. John 20 says this, verse 30. Now... Jesus did many signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of, is the Christ, or is the King. That word king is just the, the word Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. Is the King, the Son of the living God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Jesus, I mean, John said, this is why I wrote the book. Now, later on, in 21, he's going to say, if all the works of Jesus were described and were written down in a book, the world wouldn't have room to contain the number of books that would be written. But he says, but these I have written. These things I have written about Jesus. And John was being very strategic, very pointed. Why was he writing these things that the Holy Spirit was bringing to his mind? The three sevens. I mean, that's perfect. That's the perfect number in in Hebrew, 777, anything less than that is not perfect. 666. That's why the Antichrist is going to have that number. He's less than perfect. He's not perfect. But 777, why was John crafting it this way and choosing these things to be written? We're told. Thank you, John, for being just straightforward with us. So that we may believe. Guys, there is, again, a blessing at looking at Jesus and beholding him and asking the Holy Spirit to reveal him and speaking to him about who he is. It's so that we may believe. Now, this word believe is actually used 98 times, like I said, in the book of John. Its definition is to think something to be true, to be persuaded or convinced of someone's authenticity, and to have confidence and put real trust in them. And as we go through the book of John, my prayer all day has been, Lord, help us to believe. And Lord, take away roots of unbelief that we have in who you are. I have hidden roots of unbelief in Jesus Christ. I really do. I have them in my heart. I need the word to search me and to cut them out like that active sword that the, world, that the word is, right? 
I need the man Christ Jesus through his Holy Spirit to do that and to convince me again. Believe in me. Believe in me. Believe in me. Doesn't doesn't, doesn't stop there. But it says, now I put a ton of scriptures there for believe because it's used 98 times. I just had fun this morning. I, I was like, I wonder if there's one in every chapter. And I just stopped at 16 and stopped looking. <laughs> but... Right, oh, no, it stopped at chapter 20. But I just wanted to show you, it's just riddled throughout John, all the scriptures. But to all who did not receive him, who, who, who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Woman, believe in me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has, has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And just picking Verses, it's about believing in him. And I'll say this, it's about actively believing in him. Not just believing in him when we were young. It's about laying hold of that belief today and being renewed in that belief today. It's believe and go on believing. That's actually what the Greek word here is used. It's in the present future tense, and it means to go on believing. And so these words were written so that we could as his disciples, go on believing in his name. Now, why do we go on believing? Number four, which is probably on a different page because of all the scriptures. Have fun with those. Pray those this week if you want to. Just get into it. It's so that we may have life. And this is this last point. We are to believe and that in believing we can actually experience life in his name so that we could have life. Again, it's that, it's that continuing tense of the verb that we may go on having life in his name. How many of you want to experience new life in Jesus? I do. I don't want yesterday's life that I experienced. I want to go on experiencing life. John 15 says this is the power that comes from the vine. It's the life that fills us. He is the way, the truth, and the life. This life fills us so that we can do even greater works than what Jesus did. It says that we should be walking in greater works than what he did. How many of us are walking in those greater works? I want to walk in greater works. I do. I want to believe so that in believing and continuing to believe, I can experience the life of God on the inside of me and walk in the fullness of that life. And I just gave you another list of scriptures. So the most used word in John is believe. And then a close second, it's not second, but it's around there, is this word life. It's just filled. It's just throughout the book of John everywhere. So we're going to take six minutes, and we are going to cry out to the Lord in closing that he would open up his word to us in this next season so that two things. We would believe and that we would experience life in his name. Amen. So, Luna, if you could come up and play the keys. What I would like to do, I would just like to break up in small groups. We did this on Sunday morning. We got with two and three of us, and we just prayed over each other. I would like us to do that right now. If you are a family in here, if you're a husband and wife, just take a moment. Let's stand to our feet, if you don't mind, just in closing, so that some of you who are asleep can wake back up and then pray and end and just play. I'll just play. But we, we want this, guys. So why don't, I'm just going to pray over us, and then turn to one another and pray those two things. Lord, help us to believe in who you are. And just let the Holy Spirit bring things to mind. Help us to believe. Root out unbelief in our hearts. Let us see you in the book of John. Let us see you as, and just pray over each other. Help us to believe. And then ask in believing that we may have life. Ask to experience the life of God as we meditate on who Jesus is, that transforming life that we talked about in 2 Corinthians 3, that we would be transformed from glory to glory. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm just going to release you guys for about two, three minutes to pray for each other. And when you're done praying, you can feel free to be dismissed. Lord, we love you. 
we are excited for fresh revelation. Lord, we don't want yesterday's revelation. We do want fresh revelation in all these things as you've declared yourself to be. So, Lord, we ask, give us fresh revelation. We ask what Paul asked for, that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts. That we would walk with the spirit of wisdom and revelation in experiencing you. We ask you that we would experience you as we meditate on your word. Lord, we pray that you would confront us with truth. Your word, your logos, your son, Father, is truth. Confront us with truth. And Holy Spirit, spirit of truth, we ask you to testify to that truth in our hearts, in our minds, in our families. Lord, we ask you that the truth would drown out the lie in Jesus' name. That the truth of who you are and who we are in you would drown out the lies that the enemy is waging war against us with. And Lord, we just ask you for life. You know what that means, life. We ask you for life. Even in ways we don't know what that means, Lord, fill us with life. We thank you for eternal life, but I ask you for life now as a believer. Lord, release life in dreams. Release life in visions. Release life in opening this word to us. You are the life. We want to encounter you. Lord, release prophetic words in this teaching series that would release life. Give us grace to obey so we could experience a greater amount of life and light in our lives. Release life. In Jesus' name. Now, you guys just pray over one another and we'll be dismissed.